You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, I want to welcome you to our series on James. This is Lesson 7 in our series. And if you want to go ahead and turn to James chapter 3, uh, we're going to start with verse 13. That's where we'll be reading out of James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. I'm going to be reading from the New Living's translation. So let's just start here in verse 13. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth by boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, they're unspiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So James, once again, is showing us the superior way to live life, the superior life that God has for us. And he does this by revealing that the superior life is actually taking God's commands and then activating them daily, living them. In other words, not just coming to church and, oh man, that was good, or that was awesome. And of course, obviously, you know, anytime you want to come up and and appreciate us or brag on us or say that was great, I mean, that encourages us, obviously. But I think the thing that any spiritual leader, probably the biggest compliment that any spiritual leader could get, and I always tell our interns this that come at our internship, is that the biggest compliment you could give is go out and live what we teach. I think the biggest compliment that we could give Jesus is to take the words that he taught us and go out and activate those words every day in our relationships with people that we come into contact with. So James begins by pointing out the fact that wisdom is not just a matter of possessing knowledge, but it's, it's appropriately applying truth every day when we live our life. James wants to understand that true wisdom is not just intellectual, it's behavioral. It's behavioral. We're, we're living it. We're applying it. We're walking it out. We're doing it in our jobs. We're doing it with our children as we're raising them. We're, we're applying it with our mates as we're living life with them, with, with our roommates and our friends that we go to college with and coworkers. It's being applied in that way. He shows us that the foolish person is the one who knows the truth, but they fail to actually apply it in their everyday life. God's desire is for us to develop a skill of living righteously. And, and I think it's important that we recognize that you have to develop that skill. You know, you guys that are in TC, I got to hang out with these guys last night. Man, I just, I so enjoyed spending time uh, with you guys. I always like being with you. But you know, as I, when I first got saved, I didn't just have it. It took me years to develop the skill of living righteously. 
And I think it's important that you know that because sometimes, you know, you know the right thing to do, but you don't necessarily know how to do it or you don't have ability to be as consistent in it as you want to be because you haven't developed that yet and it just takes time to do it. So you can't get discouraged when you mess up and you miss the mark. You know, it's one thing to know, I don't need to say that, but it's another thing to develop the skill of keeping your mouth shut. I mean, it just takes work. And so I think for all of us, this is the thing that James really is pointing out to us. He goes on to say there are two kinds of wisdom revealed in chapter three. There's man's wisdom, and then there's God's wisdom. There's the wisdom that's from below, and there's the wisdom that's from above. Now, I don't know if you knew that there was a wisdom from below, but there is a wisdom from below. And it's very interesting how he presents this. It's really intrigued me when I read this because, you know, I've heard people say, oh, the devil's stupid. He's just as dumb as a, you know, as a rock. It's not really true. And we're going to see this as James develops this. In the Old Testament, the words wisdom and wise appear over 300 times. As a matter of fact, over 100 times they're in Proverbs alone. So the Bible has a lot to say about wisdom and walking in wisdom. I don't know if y'all remember a guy by the name of King Solomon. Remember David's son? He was the wisest man who ever lived. As a matter of fact, I want to look at that with you. Go to 1 Kings and let's look at this dream that Solomon had. God revealed himself to him in a dream. 1 Kings chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 5. It's real, real interesting how God appeared to him and what God said to him. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, it says, That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, What do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. And Solomon replied, Well, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people and justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And so Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, and as God said, ever will live. And as a matter of fact, Solomon went on to pen a book called the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this, he wrote in chapter 1, verse 16, I said to myself, Look, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. Now watch this. But I learned that this too is chasing 
after the wind. Wow. In other words, Solomon revealed that human wisdom is totally bankrupt without God. And that's really the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've ever read it, you know, you read a whole lot of vanity, vanity, meaningless, meaningless. I mean, <laughs> you know, you kind of get depressed after you walk away from reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And you just, just, you know, I got all this stuff and I worked hard to get it and I'm going to die and somebody else is going to get it. So what's the point? You know, but, but really the whole argument was him showing this is what life looks like without God. There really is no point to all of this. If you're just going to be here a few, a few short years, amass a few things, and then die and, go and be annihilated, there is no point in that. And that was really the whole point of what he was talking about. Solomon had everything. He tried everything. He knew that human wisdom, human accomplishments, and human pleasures were dead ends, and the only true fulfillment was in knowing God and having a relationship with God. If human wisdom were the answer then Solomon would have come up with a different ending in his book. Seeing that he was the wisest human being that ever lived or ever will live, he would have come up with a different ending. But in the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, the only thing that really matters and the only thing that's really important is that you live your life, you enjoy it, and you put God first in everything that you do. We also see in the book of Daniel where God gave Daniel and his three companions wisdom. It says, knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood visions and dreams that other people could not see. And we see in Ezra chapter 7 where God gave Ezra divine wisdom to lead God's people back to Jerusalem. And Job said that there was only one place that wisdom and understanding could be found when he declared, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and departing from evil is understanding. Ultimately, James is saying to us as we're looking at this letter that those who have the wisdom of man, the wisdom from below, they'll demonstrate it by their lives that they have no relationship with Jesus. And I don't know about you, church, but I, I have met some really intelligent people that were godless. I've met some really smart, wise people that did not know God, they didn't believe in God, and they didn't worship God. That's what we call the wisdom from below. It is a demonic wisdom. It is a wisdom that does not come from God. Then he moves on. And he begins to show us here in verse 13 of James, it says, who among you is wise and understanding? He will demonstrate it by his good behavior and humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, James says, if you're wise and understanding, you're going to show it through your good behavior and your lifestyle. And, you know, I've always just felt that way. And that was one of the things that really impressed me when I started coming to the ministry here way back in the late 80s and, and Tim began to mentor me, the emphasis that Tim always placed on everything was walking in wisdom that displayed itself in my everyday behavior and the fruit of my life. So if you're a wise person, people are going to see it. You know, if you're a wise young person, all your friends are going to see you making wise choices, not foolish choices. They're going to see you making wise choices on the weekends. 
They're going to see you responding to your parents in wise words, in wise attitudes. It's going to be reflected in your everyday life. And this is what James is saying. Good behavior and lifestyle are a real indicator of a person who possesses wisdom that is from above. People who are wise in their own eyes are generally arrogant about it. I don't know if y'all have ever noticed that. It's not fun being around somebody who knows they're smart. And they want you to know that they know it. It's, it's really kind of difficult <laughs> to deal with. But people who are wise in their own eyes are generally arrogant about it, which is to be expected because, you know, of this elevated view of themselves that they have that's based in pride. And that's where that comes from. It's just based in pride. Let me boast about my accomplishments. Let me boast about how smart I am. Let me boast about, you know, all the things that I know and all that I can do. In false wisdom, man is supreme. In godly wisdom, God is supreme. A truly wise person, they'll always point to God and say, God's helped me with that. A truly wise person is really a very humble person. They're not an arrogant, boastful person. They're not boasting about how smart they are. No, really, a person who is walking in wisdom from above, they recognize that they're really not all that smart at all compared to God's wisdom. As we look at verse 15, it says, the wisdom that does not come from above is earthly, it's natural, and it's demonic. Now, I want to look at these, earthly, natural, and demonic. First, false wisdom is earthly. Now, that is defined by what man can theorize, what you can discover in your own intellect, in your own brain, your own study, your own seeking out of, of knowledge, what you can accomplish by yourself. And once again, you know, I talked about how I've met wise people before. You know, I've met wise professors in college that didn't believe in God. They were godless. Now, they were very wise men, but, but they didn't acknowledge God. They had no place for God in their lives. As a matter of fact, Many of them were agnostic. They didn't even believe in God. So they walked in a wisdom, but it was an earthly wisdom. And this is what James is talking about. Makes no place for spiritual truth. They have no place for spiritual enlightenment. They don't believe that God is the source of wisdom and that he reveals things to us and helps us grow and learn. Man, one of the things that I always did when my, with my boys when they were growing up I would always encourage them, guys, pray over your test. Pray before you study. Man, you guys that are in Leaders Academy and you guys that are in CMA and public school, those of you that are still in education right now, or maybe even some of you adults that are taking college classes, boy, one of the things I really want to encourage you in, anytime you set yourself out to study, just take just a couple of minutes in prayer and ask God to illuminate your mind, to help you, to give you wisdom and understanding of the topics that you're studying. And I'll always encourage my boys to pray before every test that they took in school. Every test that they took in college. Man, pray over that thing. Trust God. Look to God to help you in that area. So the, the first area is what we call natural. The second area of false wisdom is what we call natural. Natural wisdom. Natural wisdom is sensual. It's It's fleshly. It relates only to the fallen, unredeemed, corrupt sin part 
of our nature. The things of God are seen as foolishness to the natural man. We can read about that in Romans. It says the, the things of God are just, they're foolish to a person who is just basing their life on the natural man, the fleshly life, the carnal man. The things of God make no sense to a worldly mind because their mind is full of the appetites for the world. They think education is the answer to their life. They think getting more knowledge is the answer to their life. They think reading one more book is the answer to their life because they don't give God any place in their life. And the third is false wisdom is demonic. Demonic. Now this wisdom is, is rooted in Satan himself. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the very beginning of time, Satan promised Adam and Eve wisdom if only they would surrender to his will. You give your life to me, surrender yourself to me, bow before me, and I will give you wisdom. That was what he offered them. And like I said, you know, I, I've heard people say that the devil is stupid, but, but you know, you got to think about it. To be a really good for lack of a better way of describing this, to be a really good, evil person, you got to be wise. You got to be cunning. You got to be smart. You know, any, any movie that you watch, the villain that is really evil is really cunning and wise. You know, I, I like M. Night Shyamalan movies, and, you know, they're kind of hit and miss, but he's made a lot of really good ones. And one of my favorite all time movies that he did was Unbreakable. And then he went on to make another movie called, um, you know, talked about Mr. Glass. And so they developed these characters in this movie. But <clears throat> M. Not Shalaman made this movie Unbreakable. And Samuel L. Jackson plays the villain in the movie, Mr. Glass. And one of the things that he describes about a villain in the movie, he says, the most dangerous villain in any, you know, superhero is the one that attacks the good guy with his mind. That's the really, really evil villain is the one that attacks the good guy with his mind. Not necessarily with superpowers, but he gets him with his mind. Wisdom without God can be dangerous to people who possess it. It can be very dangerous because you can use that wisdom for ill means. You can use that wisdom for selfish gain. You can use that wisdom to manipulate other people. And, you know, we've all seen this. We, we can watch it in our markets. You know, we had the, the Fannie Mae thing that happened a few years back, and we had some really wise, intelligent people that were handling other people's money except they were doing it in evil means and in evil ways. And that hurt a lot of people because that wisdom wasn't rooted and submitted in God. It was evil from below. It was evil that was manipulated by the devil. In James chapter 3, verse 17, he begins to talk about wisdom that's from above. He says, the wisdom that's from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, it's gentle at all times and reasonable. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace 
and reap a harvest of righteousness. So God's wisdom from above is a welcome contrast compared to the wisdom that comes from below. So following kind of the same pattern that we did before, I want to look at wisdom that comes from above. And as a matter of fact, I want to look at three areas. I want to talk about the motivation, the characteristics, and the results of godly wisdom. The motivation, the characteristics, and the results of godly wisdom. Now, the motivation for God's wisdom, it's kind of like pure water that you drink. It's not contaminated. It's not defiled. It won't make you sick. As a matter of fact, it'll make you healthy. It'll purify you. It'll clean you. It'll cause you, you know, like I have pure water in this, gla- in this cup right here. And because it's pure, I'm not afraid to drink it. I'm not afraid that it's going to poison me. I'm not afraid that it's going to contaminate me because this water is pure. God's wisdom from above is like that. God's wisdom from above will only make you better, not worse. So he starts out by saying that God's wisdom is pure, it's undefiled, it's free of contamination. Now, the motivation for God's wisdom is pure. Just like wisdom is like pure water, the motivation of wisdom is to make you pure. That's the whole drive behind it. See, clean water you can drink without fear, and then that water does nothing but make you better. It makes you more healthy. So it won't defile you. It won't corrupt you. As a matter of fact, David wrote in Psalms 51, and and I'm sure that you have read this before, Psalms 51, verse 7. It says, Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So the motivation of God's wisdom is to purify us. As a matter of fact, I believe that the more wise you are, the more pure you will become. The more pure you'll be in your character, the more pure you'll be in your relationships, the more pure you'll be in handling your money, the more pure you'll be in your relationship with God. The more you gain wisdom from God, the more that wisdom acts like a water filter and it just purifies everything about you. Then we see the characteristics of God's wisdom. Peace-loving, willing to yield to others, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruit without hypocrisy. So let's look at these. James says that wisdom from above is peace-loving. Now, people who are truly wise, they don't go around starting fights. They don't go around starting quarrels. They, they don't go around provoking people, trying to stir the pot and make people mad. No, truly wise people, everywhere they go, their motivation is to diffuse problems. They, they want to usher in peace where they go. They want to usher in peace in the workplace. They want to usher in peace with their children. They want to usher in peace in the classroom with their teachers and their, and their friends that are there with them in the classroom. See, it's peace-loving, peace-loving. Truly wise people don't create conflict out of their own selfishness. Isn't that good? None of us wants to go around people who are selfish And all they do is think about themselves, and they're always stirring up stuff. No, 
when I see people like that coming, I just want to hide behind a bush. I don't know about y'all. I'm like, I hope they don't see me. Maybe they'll walk on by, right? No, no, no. Peace-loving people are wise people. See, they produce peace by their humility. I love being around people that are peaceful. I just want to be around them. They, they relax me. They make me feel better. I like being around people who walk in humility. I especially like being around people who have every reason to boast, but they don't. I mean, they, successful people, smart, wise people, they could boast about all kinds of things, but man, they act like just the most humble people you would ever want to meet. Peace-loving, peace-loving. So one of the characteristics of godly wisdom is the person who ushers in peace wherever they go. The second, godly wisdom is gentle. James says godly wisdom is gentle. A gentle person is humbly patient. Now, this is something I have to work on. And, and I know God put me in the ministry of working with young adults to teach me this every single day. And I've really come a long ways. You can ask my wife, because early on when I was a lot younger, I was a lot more zealous. And, you know, <laughs> gentle wisdom was not my attribute. Wisdom wasn't even much, but the wisdom I did have, it didn't fall into the category of gentle, okay? It fell into the category of, why did you do that? That was really stupid, you know, and not bringing forth gentle correction when I work with people. But a gentle person is humbly patient. They can handle mistreatment without responding in return. You know, a truly wise person, you know, I think about you guys being in TC and just hanging out with you guys some last night and, and just being around all those guys and all that testosterone, all in one ministry, all in one place. Man, I'm telling you, that's going to take some serious humility and gentleness if you're going to get along with people. Can I have an amen, fellas, right? But gentle people aren't looking to get into arguments. They're led by kindness. That's their motivation. They're led by kindness. And they're able to teach with patience. You know, you parents, you want to have gentle humility in teaching your children. You know, I was very fortunate that somebody taught me very early on when I was raising my kids, don't ever say, this is the last time I'm going to say this to you. How many times do I have to tell you, taught me never say that? Because that is the whole process of training and teaching and developing a young person. You're going to tell them over and over and over and over and over and over again. And maybe in about seven to 10 years, they'll finally start to get a hold of a little bit of what you're talking about. That is the way it works. See, gentle people, they're, they're able to teach with patience. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. And one of the big things about winning people over, especially people who are walking obstinate, 
people who are walking in rebellion, one of the ways to win them over is for you not to let them push your button. You learn to let that roll off of you. And then you try to teach them gently and work with them and have patience. And then ultimately, hopefully you'll bring them along. They'll begin to learn and they'll begin to grow. The next characteristic we see is, he says, wisdom is reasonable. In other words, wise people can yield to other people. You don't have to always be right. You don't have to always win every argument. You, you yield to other people. That's what he's saying here. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so this is, that's basically what Jesus is saying here. It's basically the same thing as he's teaching the Beatitudes. He's showing us that we need to be reasonable. We yield to other people. The fourth characteristic is full of mercy. Wisdom, a truly wise person that's walking in the wisdom from above, the Bible says they're full of mercy. Now, once again, very clear corresponding to the Beatitudes Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And I, I talk to our interns, and I say, okay, as you guys are working with one another, as you're doing life with one another, do you want other people showing you mercy when you make mistakes? And of course, everybody will always say, absolutely. I, I want mercy in the process of growing and trying to learn to do it the way God would want me to do it. Then I say, okay, well, the, whatever measure of mercy that you give them is what they're going to give you. So if you're a person who shows mercy, there's a really good possibility you're going to be a person who's going to receive mercy. But if, you, if you're unwilling to give it, if you're going to make people walk the line and you're going to call them on every single thing they do, then don't be surprised that they don't use that same standard of measurement on you. James is saying that real and genuine salvation is evident in our everyday life. That's the whole point. James, so much of James is practical. It's not theoretical. It's not even theological. It's so much about this is practical. Showing mercy, reaching out to help others is a characteristic of following Jesus. Helping people, showing mercy, that's what Jesus looked like. The fifth trait was good fruits. Godly wisdom is full of good fruits, and this refers to every kind of good work or every kind of good deed. That may be, you know, you helping somebody out when they need a helping hand or or, you know, I talk to the interns about you know, when you're out in the laundry room and, you know, we've got washers and dryers here on campus and our interns do their laundry out there. And oftentimes, you know, when you have a lot of students in the internship, you've got four washers and four dryers. Well, people tend to leave their stuff in them. And, you know, you go out there and you want to use the dryer and somebody's stuff is in the dryer and you, you're like, ugh, and you just take their stuff and throw it on the floor. Shouldn't have left it in there. If they didn't want it on the floor, they shouldn't have left it in there. And you just throw it all on the floor and you put yours in. And what I teach them instead, I say, no, take the time to be a blessing. Take their clothes out, fold them up, put them on top, and leave a little note that says, God bless you. It's so important that we operate in good fruits. A believer should be known for doing good. When people say, man, 
I've heard people say of, of our pastor, Tim's a good man. Well, that's what ought to be said about him. I've heard them say of Terry, Terry's a good woman. She's a godly good woman. Well, that's what ought to be said. See, when you look like Jesus, that's what people are going to say about you because you are demonstrating it in your everyday life. The sixth, godly wisdom is unwavering. Man, I like this one, unwavering. In other words, it's not inconsistent. It's not uncertain. It's not walking in doubtfulness and uncertainty. No, godly wisdom is unwavering. In other words, you're consistent. When you wake up tomorrow, nobody has to wonder what kind of person you're going to be. They know. When you wake up tomorrow morning, mom, your kids know you're going to be the same mom that you were yesterday. In the day, when you wake up tomorrow, dad, you're going to be the same dad that you were yesterday, the same dad that you were last week, the same dad that you were last month. You're an unwavering person. That's a person who walks in wisdom. Seventh and finally, godly wisdom is without hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is one of the sins that Jesus condemned more than probably any other sin that he talked about. Four times in the Sermon on the Mount alone, Jesus talked about hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is a big deal to Jesus. Jesus, and, and I really want to kind of point this more toward our young people than anything. Guys, Jesus wants you to be real and not fake more than anything else in your life. And you know, I remember when I was in high school, the people that really turned me off the most were people that acted one way at school and another way on the weekends, or one way at church and another way on Saturday night when they were hanging out with their friends. Jesus wants us to be without hypocrisy. He wants us to be real. Hypocrisy is, is a big deal to Jesus. Our walk with Jesus should be genuine. And everybody that we come into contact with ought to say, man, they're, they're, the, they're the same person everywhere they go. They act the same. They treat me the same no matter where I see them, no matter what they're doing. You know, they're, I remember telling my wife, and, and she's said this many times to the different interns, but I remember when I started courting Angela, and one of the first things I told my wife, I said, what you see is what you get. I said, this is who I am. I'm not pretending, I'm not faking. Now, that didn't mean I was perfect, and it's quite the opposite. She saw all my imperfections, but I just wanted her to know that I wasn't putting on my, married, my get married costume so that I could fool her into marrying me, and then after we got married, I took that off, and I was somebody totally different. No, Jesus wants us to be the same at church, at work, on town, everywhere we go, Everybody should be able to clearly see it. In closing, we see James continually emphasizing the person who professes to be a Christian has to prove it through his works, through his everyday living. If he's a true believer, he'll walk in God's wisdom, the wisdom that is manifest from above. It reveals itself through righteousness, selflessness, and peaceful living with people that we interact with every day. To know that we need God, that's important. To know that we need God is important. To reach out for God is imperative. To hear what God has to say is crucial 
But it's all meaningless unless we're determined to do what God tells us to do. It, it, there's no point in any of it if we're not going to obey. I want to sum up James's teaching on wisdom by saying this. We're not wise because we have God's word. We're not wise because we desire God's word. We're not even wise because we read God's word. We're only wise when we obey and walk in God's word. Amen? Amen. Y'all stand with me tonight. Let's give God a hand clap. Y'all make sure you put in a good word for me now, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Go before us this week. God, help us to walk in the wisdom that's from above. Use us to be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.